stories told of two friends, Jeff and Ryan. Jeff and Ryan worked together in the lower level of a company. And Jeff and his wife decided one day, you know what, we want to adopt. But anyone who's ever adopted know that that's, that that costs a lot of money. So Jeff's like, yeah, we can't, we just can't handle it. So his buddy Ryan is like, well, we've been saving up for this big vacation, but we can spot you the money. And Jeff's like, oh, thank you so much. Someday, somehow, I'm going to repay you. And so five years down the road, Jeff and Ryan are at work. And they're given a test, and everyone's given a test. And the person who does the best on this test is going to be the new VP of the company. Okay, so they're taking the test, and Jeff knows. Jeff's thinking he's about done with his test. He's like, you know what? I know that I did pretty well on this test. But I also know that my buddy Ryan did pretty horrible because he knows nothing about management. So he's like, hey, Ryan, I'll bring your test up for you. And he's like, okay. So he's bringing him up, and as he's going up there, he switches tests, switches the names. Next morning, guess who got the job? Ryan got the job. Ryan got the job of VP, even though it was actually Jeff's test, right? Ryan didn't earn it at all, super ordinary dude, ends up doing really extraordinary in the company. Why? Because of something completely outside of himself, outside of his power and his strength his friend Jeff. Here's the catch. This is, a story, this is the story of the movie The Flintstones, okay? It wasn't Jeff and Ryan. It was Fred and Barney. So it's on Netflix right now. Go and watch it today. Uh, good times. But um, Fred Flintstone, super ordinary dude, um, and this happens to him. He gets VP because Barney switches the test with him. Um, and it's totally not because of himself. Uh, why do I share that? So we're in Acts 4 today. So if you want to get, turn to Acts 4, John and Peter in Acts 4 are super ordinary guys. And they do extraordinarily bold things for Jesus. And they do it not because of themselves, but because of someone totally not them. The Holy Spirit, God himself living inside of them. So you and me, we're super ordinary people. At least as I look around, I don't think I see any celebrities here this morning. We're just ordinary people, and we can also do extraordinarily bold things for Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. So, let's look at the text. We're in, in Acts 4, starting in verse 5 this morning. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So here's the context, in case you missed it last week. Uh, Peter and John heal a lame beggar. And he's been 
lame since birth. And they do this all in Jesus' name. They're just going to the temple. And, and the, there he is right at the gate. And they're like, hey, in the name of Jesus be healed. And he's healed. And so Peter ends up sharing the gospel with everyone around who's going like, whoa, what just happened? And 5,000 people come to know Jesus. 5,000 people believe that day because of Peter's boldness. And the Jewish leaders end up putting Peter and John in custody. And we pick up here in verse 5, they're being questioned by these Jewish leaders. They're standing on trial for something good that they did. Sound familiar? Who else stood on trial for something good they did? Jesus, right? And that's, that should be the pattern, not just of these guys, but of all followers of Jesus, that our lives end up looking like Jesus, right? So they're standing on trial for something good they did. I think nowadays it'd be like standing in front of the Supreme Court without a lawyer, okay? If I was standing before the Supreme Court of the United States and being questioned without a lawyer or without any help, I would probably literally pee my pants, okay? And I definitely would just run out of there um, I, I, if I did happen to say something, it would be pretty scattered, and I, and I stutter. Uh, but here they are, Peter. He's standing there calling out the Jewish leaders. How does he do that? Verse 8, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He boldly calls them out with the Spirit's empowerment. But without the Spirit, he would have been peeing his pants and running away as well, just like me. See, the Holy Spirit is the flame of the fire of boldness. And without it, we're all just weak wimps. Peter's bold. He's bold here, but he's not brash. He's bold, but he's not brash. He addresses them as rulers of the people and elders. There's a respect there, even for these leaders that he disagrees with. And he simply states what happened. Jesus healed the guy. You, you guys crucified Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead. You rejected Jesus, and now he's the cornerstone. He's the linchpin. He is the, the basis for God's people. And he even shows them from Psalm 118, 22, and Isaiah 28, 16. He quotes that scripture. He's saying, you know what? This is being fulfilled. You guys are the builders that rejected the cornerstone, Jesus. He's bold, but he's not brash. So what's the difference? Um, bold would be telling a person from another re- religion, there's only one way to God. That's, that's bold. Brash would be yelling at them, you're going to hell! See the difference? Bold would be posting on social media, let's just say, uh, and maybe this will happen sometime soon, I don't know, but let's just say that abortion is, is a hot topic, and it usually is, but it's especially a hot topic at the time, and you post Psalm 139, you knit me together in my mother's womb, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay, that's a bold move. A brash move would be arguing on social media about abortion, using explicitives and, and, and other brash language. See, boldness, I I have a working definition of boldness in the Scripture. Boldness is acting selflessly and courageously in the face of real or perceived opposition. It's acting selflessly and courageously in the face of real or perceived opposition. See, Peter was selfless. He had Jesus' fame in mind, not his own fame. He was courageous. He was telling them, 
why they were, he was telling them, hey, you were rejected by God. That's hard to say to people, but he did it. And today, I think boldness looks the same way or in a similar way. We need to be selfless. We need to be selfless, not simply airing our own opinions to be right or to stir the pot. That's not just with your words to other people, that's with your words on the internet as well, and on social media. Are you, are you posting what you're posting to represent Jesus or yourself? Are you bold or are you just being brash? And then we're called to be courageous. And I think this looks, uh, shows its head mainly in relationships. Are we bold in our relationships? Like, like my daughter Joy the other day who just comes up to me. I didn't tell her to do this. She comes up to me and goes, hey, you know what? Dad, there was this kid during recess and, and everyone was making fun of him. No one was really playing with him. And I saw that. And so me and my friends decided we were going to play with him. And so that's who we play with at recess now. And I'm like, that's amazing. That's what, Joy, that's what it looks like to love other people. Like God loves us. That's, that's great. That's courage. That's relational courage. It's taking the things you're already doing with people and and just putting yourself out there. Taking that next step, praying with people, asking them about their church experiencing, asking them about Jesus, being bold, being courageous relationally. And I think for us, it's mainly perceived opposition. Peter and John were facing actual opposition. I think for us, it's often just perceived opposition. I can't talk to that neighbor across the street because they don't want to talk to me. Really, did they tell you that? What if they're thinking the same thing? It's probably totally untrue. Probably a lot of the opposition you have in your mind relationally where it's like, man, I I should connect with these people. I should get to know these people. I should love on these people. And fear keeps us back because we perceive that there's, there's this wall there when there probably isn't. Peter, in this passage in verse 12, makes an exclusive statement about Jesus in verse 12. There's no other name by which men can be saved. He's saying, you Jews are not saved. That's, that's what he's saying to them. You have to trust in Jesus alone. He's echoing Jesus in John fourteen six, where he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. It was a bold statement then, and that's a bold statement today, isn't it? To say that Jesus is the only way? Uh, Pastor David Platt, I think, did a good job of being bold but not brash. I'm just going to read a little bit of something he wrote. He said, I remember visiting Indonesia and speaking with a Hindu leader and a Muslim leader. They would say, we have different paths that lead us to spiritual fulfillment, that lead us to God. And they said, we respect your path, you respect our path, and we'll all go different ways, and together we'll end up in the same place. I looked at them, and I said, well, let me make sure I understand. You're saying that basically you picture God on the top of a mountain, and we're all at the bottom of a mountain, and I might take one path to get to God, and you may take another path to get to the top of the mountain, but we all end up eventually in the same place. They both had big smiles on their face and agreed with my assessment. I looked at them and said, well, if that's the way it is, let me ask you one question. What if the God at the top of the mountain decided he was going to make his way down the mountain to us and he came to bring us to the mountain himself? 
And they said, well, that would be wonderful. And I said, that's, the God of the, that's what the God of the Bible did. Let me tell you about Jesus, who Jesus really is. It's not about trying to find our way to God. Jesus has come to us and he says, I am the way. See how that's bold, but it's not brash. There are ways to do this. We can, we can emulate Peter, who was bold, but not brash. So the Holy Spirit here we see is, is empowering this ordinary guy to do some bold things. But I just want to highlight how ordinary he is. Look at verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. They were ordinary guys. Remember Peter? Remember Peter when he was just watching Jesus on trial? So Peter wasn't even on trial. He's just watching Jesus on trial over here. And people are asking him, hey, you're with Jesus, right? And he's like, no, not at all. Jesus even tells him that he's going to deny him three times. And Peter's still over here being a weak wimp when he's not even on trial. And now Peter's on trial and he's being bold. What changed? The Holy Spirit. He has God inside of him now, giving him words. Peter is uneducated. Peter quotes Scripture here. I don't think Peter actually knew those Scriptures from the Old Testament. He was a fisherman. I don't think he knew those. I think literally the Holy Spirit was giving him those words so that God would get the glory. I love Acts 4.13. In fact, it's, it's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture because it means that ordinary people like me and ordinary people like you can be bold for Jesus. All excuses are gone. You don't know the Bible well enough? Well, either did Peter. Are you naturally really fearful of other people? Well, so was Peter. Well, look at him. The Holy Spirit really is the flame of the fire of boldness. But all fires need fuel, right? So extraordinary boldness flows from the fuel of ordinary devotion. And that's, that's our role in this. So I would just want to highlight in the rest of this passage some boldness fuel, so to speak. And the first one, boldness fuel number one, is time with Jesus. So verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Peter and John's boldness was a result of them spending time with Jesus. Think of it. They saw Jesus' example of boldness. Jesus routinely called out religious leaders. They saw Jesus' boldness, but they also saw that Jesus was also really loving. He was bold without being brash, and so that's what they were doing here as well. And their ministry becomes so similar to Jesus' ministry that it started to smell very strongly of Jesus. And so, does your boldness smell strongly of Jesus? Or does it just stink like selfishness? Or does it just stink like, like Matt? See, the only way to start smelling like Jesus is to spend some time with Jesus. This doesn't mean checking off you know, reading my Bible and praying, those are good things, but it doesn't mean checking those up. I mean like having real conversations with Jesus. I mean, I, I've done this before and I think it's helpful where you, you, you get a chair out 
and you talk with Jesus like he's right there sitting with you. Because guess what? He is right there. It's, it's a relationship. Have you, have you spent time with Jesus? Because extraordinary boldness flows from ordinary devotion to time with Jesus. Now, before we get to some more boldness fuels, we see kind of a, a, a fire extinguisher attempt on the, this, this flame of boldness. So verses 14 to 18. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So here's the fire extinguisher. They're going, hey, Peter, John, shut up about Jesus. Just be quiet about him already. Anyone ever tried using water on a grease fire? No? I, I, yeah, so I see some nods. No one wants to, to be super bold in admitting that. That's fine. That's, I, I understand that. So you know that water on a grease fire makes the grease fire worse. Thankfully, I've never done that. I've just watched other people do it and learned by watching them <laughs> that that was a bad idea. Um, but that's, what, that's what's going on here. These religious leaders, they're like, hey, stop talking about Jesus. And it just ends up making them more bold. It's awesome. Makes the fire worse. So boldness fuel number two, audience of one. They're living before an audience of one, verses 19 to 22. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you Rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened, for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. They were asked to do something that didn't honor God. And they responded by saying, hey, we can't help but, but speak of what we've seen and heard. We can't help but talking about Jesus. They're saying essentially we live before an audience of one. God's opinion matters, not yours. The Jewish leaders lived for an audience of everyone but God. Did you notice in there? Why didn't they punish them? They didn't punish them because of the people. They were controlled by the fear of man. They were totally controlled by the fear of man and not of God. So maybe you're here and, and your boldness for Jesus is weak. Maybe it's weak because you care too much about other people's opinions. When you live before an audience of one, fear starts to fall to the ground. Louis Giglio, um, one of my favorite pastors, said this, we need to live from acceptance and not for acceptance. We need to live from acceptance that we are accepted by God because of what He did on the cross, not because of what I have done. I need, I'm accepted by Him in spite of me. And so now I'm living from that acceptance, what He says about me. That Lauren Daigle song that, that I saw chart, was on the top of even the secular charts, you say... 
I, lo- I, I love that song because that's, that's what this is. We're living from acceptance. What he says about me, not what other people are saying. That's how we can be bold. Extraordinary boldness flows from ordinary devotion to an audience of one. Boldness fuel number three, resting in God's sovereignty. Resting in God's sovereignty, verse 23 to 28. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voice together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your, our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They start by praying and recognizing God's sovereignty. Sovereignty just means complete power and complete control. Complete power and complete control. They're saying, God, you sovereignly made everything. God, you sovereignly fulfilled Psalm 2, 1 and 2. That's what they're quoting here. You sovereignly used each and every person in the peace of your salvation plan. In Jesus' crucifixion, even, even Pilate, even Herod, even the bad guys, you sovereignly used to fulfill your will. And then it ends in verse 28, you predestined, you planned beforehand that all of this would take place. See, they're reminding them, themselves of God's sovereignty in the past so that they can trust and rest in God's sovereignty in the present. He has everything that's going on. He has everything that's going to happen planned out. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be afraid, even in the face of persecution. The prerequisite to boldness is rest. And that's super counterintuitive, right? You think boldness and you think, let's go for it, not resting. Think that as like the opposite. But, but no, that's the prerequisite. We have to rest in God. And as we rest in God and His perfect plan, It removes fear, it removes anxiety, it removes overthinking things and selfishness. So, just think about it. For my own life, when I'm driving home from work and I'm about to enter my house where where I'm called to love and to sacrifice for my wife and my kids, if I stop when I pull into that driveway and go, God, I trust you, Fill me with your spirit. I need your help. It goes a lot better than if I don't do that. Or let's say you're about to go into a meeting that you know is probably going to be pretty tough. If you just stop and say, God, you've got this. I trust you. What if you're about to just walk out of the house to whatever you're going to do that day and you just go, God, I trust you. I rest in you. Suddenly we can be bold without being brash with our kids. Suddenly we can be bold without being brash with our coworkers. Suddenly we can be bold without being brash with our friends and our neighbors and anyone else we come in contact with that day. 
But when you don't stop like the disciples did here and recognize his sovereignty, we, we just become reactive. We become rude. We become panicked and frenzied. Because extraordinary boldness flows from ordinary devotion to resting in God's sovereignty. And the last boldness fuel we see in here is in verse 29 to 31. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Boldness fuel number four, supplication. What's supplication? It's just asking for stuff. It's just asking for something. They're saying, God, help us speak your word with all boldness. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. See, they recognize that God is the giver of boldness. And we've got to ask for it. We, we've got to ask for it. Yes, we were just, Peter and John were just very bold over here. But if we don't keep asking for boldness, we're not going to be bold. So they just keep coming and asking, God, we need, we need you. We need boldness. We need your strength, Holy Spirit. I think most of the time we're not bold because we're not asking for it. What would it look like at work? What would it look like with your neighbors? What would it look like with your unbelieving family if you asked for boldness before you walked into those situations? What if you asked for boldness to talk to them about Jesus? But it, it, it can be in even um, less extreme ways. What if you're just asking for boldness to, to love them well? What if you're just asking for boldness to encourage these people that you don't really care for? What if you're just asking for um, boldness to, to say something to make their day a little more full of joy to point them to Jesus? I love that last verse. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. I wish that would happen this morning. Like after, after I'm done preaching, that, that I just start praying. And as we're praying for boldness, that this place would just shake. That would be really cool. Um, so we can, we could all pray for that. That'd be, that'd be awesome. But, um, even, even if that doesn't happen, that, that as we're praying here this morning or in connection groups, that God would give us boldness as we walk out of this place. Billy Graham, arguably the, the best, one of the best evangelists of all time, told lots of people about Jesus, had these big crusades, recently passed away. But he was asked one time, hey, why are you, your crusades so successful? And he said, oh, that's easy. Three reasons. Prayer, prayer, and prayer. And I believe that's totally true. You look at Billy Graham's messages, they were okay. They would do all right in a preaching class. He would get maybe a B in a preaching class. But it was the power of the Holy Spirit. There were, the, clearly, there was prayer all over this thing. Because Billy Graham is just an ordinary guy. Ordinary boldness, or extraordinary boldness flows from ordinary devotion to just asking for it. Supplication. 
So I want to show you a video of Jack Owens. Jack Owens um, started the college ministry that became Salt Company, that became Cornerstone Church of Ames, that planted Stonebridge Church. And on top of that, Jack also started Stonebridge Church before we were called Stonebridge Church, before I was ever here. And he's now helping plant another church in Lawrence, Kansas. Okay, and Jack is an incredible guy, but he'll be the first one to tell you that he's an ordinary guy. I, I emailed him this week, and I said, hey, I'm going to show this video. Thank you for your example. And he goes, oh yeah, I forgot about that video. Well, you've got the right guy if you're wanting to show an example of an ordinary one. <laughs> so check this out. Jack can tell you more of his story for himself. So what Jack started has become 13 churches, thousands of people, with more churches coming. And he's just an ordinary guy saying, who am I? Why, why would God use me? And that, isn't that us? I think we're all pretty similar to Jack Owens. I think we're all pretty similar to Peter and to John. Ordinary people. but not just ordinary people. We have an extraordinary, bold God living inside of us. So nothing is keeping us from being as bold as Jack Owens. Nothing is keeping us from being as bold as Peter and John. It's the same God, same Holy Spirit living inside of us. So it's my prayer that this group of ordinary people would be used to do extraordinary things through the power of the Holy Spirit. Be open to that this week. Say, God, 
Whatever you put in my path this week, whoever you put in my path this week, I'm willing to to step out in your strength and love people boldly and talk to people boldly and share Jesus with people boldly. Let's pray. God, I pray for boldness. I pray that we would pray more for boldness. I pray that you would make us like the apostles. I pray that you would make us like Jack Owens. I pray that, that you would use us even in our weakness, in spite of our weakness, God, to do extraordinary things for you, Jesus. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.